Well, turning to Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 1. 2 Samuel chapter 1, we're continuing our study of the history of the nation of Israel, actually seen through the eyes of some famous people. We just finished 1 Samuel. We're now going into 2 Samuel. We're seeing some different people. Let me give you this. We've seen Samuel, as we've looked through the histories, he was the final judge, a great prophet and a priest. And then we saw Saul as the first king of Israel, a man of flesh. He just died, of course. We'll see that as we go through. And then, of course, David is going to be the second king of Israel, and we call him a a man after God's own heart. Well, this morning, as we begin 2 Samuel, the focus will shift to the life of David. Saul is dead, and David now will become the king. And what it's not as simple as we think. We say, okay, well, Saul's dead, David becomes the king. It's going to take about seven years before that happens. Uh, David was anointed as king probably around age 14 or 15, and now he's close to 30 years old, and we're going to see what happens. David is a man after God's own heart, and we, I think as we see 2 Samuel, I've got the little card for you. We'll talk about it in just a minute. I hope you got that when you came in. Uh, it gives you a little information. We'll talk about it in a minute. As we look this morning, we're going to do several things. We're going to look, just a brief review of what we seen about the lives of Samuel, Saul, and David, and then we'll get a quick outline of 2 Samuel. I call it David's triumph and David's trouble, and then we'll begin chapter 1. What happened after the battle? And this morning, uh, you're going to see something different than we saw in, uh, in the very end of Second Sam- of 1 Samuel. So what's happened? We'll see it as we go through it. <clears throat> well, most of us love sports, and most of us like when our team wins, whether it's OSU or Dallas Cowboys or somebody. Uh, how, how do you, you know, how do we feel when our team wins? We say, yeah, well, this is good. How do we feel when our team loses? We say, oh, that's, that's sad. As we look at our study this morning, it's actually a time of sadness. The nation of Israel has has fallen. They've been defeated in a battle. Saul has been killed. The Philistines have won. The nation's in disarray. There's no leadership. Where's David? What's about to happen with him? What, and what can we, as we look through this, what can we learn? We've seen that the, the Bible, of course, is powerful in the Old Testament, even as we're studying the Old Testament and going through this history part of the Bible. The Bible tells us that uh, the things that were written and written in the past were written for our instruction. So there's a lot of things we can learn to apply. Let me, let me show you something. Let's just think about, we've seen good and bad, or it's good and sad. Think about this. We've seen good. Samuel was a young boy, raised up by God, became a prophet for the nation. He was a good man, a godly man. He lived a life of character and integrity. That was so good. We saw Saul, good, chosen as king. He began in humility and united the nation for war. I mean, he did so good. And then we see David as a young boy. He defeated Goliath in the power of God, became a great leader, became a warrior, a man after God's own heart, and he even refusing, refusing to trust the God's, God's anointed. And we say, wow, there was a lot of good things that happened. But then there's sad things. We saw the failure of Samuel with his sons. I mean, he was a great prophet and a priest and all that, but, but his sons didn't follow after him. In fact, his sons were horrible, and that's one of the reasons the nation wanted a king, because the sons refused to follow him and, and uh, followed their dead after death. And then we saw Saul and his rejection of God and his failure to trust God and to obey God and his death and defeat at the hand of the Philistines. And then sad, we saw David, who left the land of Israel to live with the Philistines. And we saw for a while, maybe 16 months, he was lying and killing and things. And we go, good gracious, what is going on? So in this, we've seen both good and bad. We've seen victory and defeat. In our lives, we see the same thing. Sometimes things go really good and we go, wow, this is going great. And then sometimes things do not go very well. How do we respond? What can we learn? Well, we know that we've got to trust God regardless of whether it's good 
or sad, whatever's going on. As we begin 2 Samuel, we're going to see the focus is the life of David. And, and this, uh, that's why I called, if you got the little card, I've called this uh, David uh, Triumph and Trouble. And let me remind you of something. When you look at the books in the Bible, 1 Samuel deals primarily with Samuel and Saul and a little bit of David. 2 Samuel is going to all deal with the life of David. Following that is 1 Kings will deal with the life of Solomon and then the kings that come after Solomon. And then the book of 2 Kings deals with more kings and then as they go into captivity. So that's, that's sort of the flow. Do you realize that David will be a king for 40 years? Now what we don't always realize is that Saul, the first king of Israel, was a king for 40 years. 40 years. David is going to be a king for 40 years. And Solomon, David's son, is going to be a king for 40 years. So the first three kings of Israel were all were kings for 40 years. David, for the first seven and a half years, is king over basically Judah. And then the last years, he's the king over the entire nation. He's called a man of bloodshed because God used him to fight and to defeat the enemies and to bring peace. And that's why David wanted to build the temple. But God said, no, you're a man of bloodshed. Your son who comes after you will be a man of peace. And that was Solomon, and, and Solomon's name comes back to Shalom and the idea of peace. And so we're going to see that, and, and we're going to see David's life. And, and I want to remind you of the contrast between Saul and David. Saul, the first king, was a man of the flesh, rejected God, lived for himself. David, a man of the spirit, a heart for God, lived for God. The contrast as they dealt with sin. When Saul sinned, he failed to trust God. He failed to obey God. He didn't deal with his sin. He rejected God. And he lived his life out of fellowship. When David sins, especially with Bathsheba, and we're going to see that in, the, in Second Samuel, uh, he confessed his sin, Psalm 51, Psalm 32. And he was disciplined, but he lived a life for God. So we're going to see. It's a special book. And as we begin, let me give you the outline. And, and let, me, let me just put this up. This is the outline for the book. And if you've got your card, if you, you can hold it up and look at it. On one side, in fact, on one side it says the author is unknown, written about 900 B.C. It's basically David's triumph and troubles, and then it gives kind of an overview of the book and the key sections. And on the back side is the actual outline. It's a very simple outline. The first 10 chapters, David is in triumph, and the last chapters, David is in trouble. So I hope that you've got that card. If you didn't get it, we got it right outside where you can get it as you go out. It's also on the table there. <clears throat> so this morning... We're going to see what happened after the battle. What happened? And we already know what happened. We remember that, that Saul was in the battle with the Philistines. David's not there. Saul, Jonathan, the Philistines overrun them. The Philistines do it all. They kill Jonathan. Uh, that's David's, uh, that's uh, Saul's son. They kill him. They kill others. And they ended up, Saul about to, about to die actually kills himself. And we'll see what happens. So there's sorrow and defeat and death and fear and failure. What's going to happen? God has already promised that David would be the next king. What will happen? Well, let me give you this, the outline of, ch of chapter 1, but not all of it, just the verses we're going to cover today. And, and we're going to see this man, a, a, a Malachite, comes with a story. And we see what he, he returns from the battle, he reports the death, and we see what David does. So we're only going to look at about the first 16 verses this morning of Second Samuel, just getting this little background, and we're going to see the story. Now let me remind you of something. In First Samuel 30, victory for David. In First Samuel 31, defeat and death for Saul. So as we start Second Samuel, it's a sad time. The nation of Israel has been defeated 
They've run out. The Philistines have taken their cities. People have run for their lives. Saul is dead. Jonathan is dead. The, the son, other brothers are, are dead. And David is, really, he, he wasn't even around. He was in a city called Ziklag, which is way south, and it was a Philistine city. And so David wasn't there for this final battle. David has just defeated the Amalekites. We saw that. They're, they were really bad people. Let me just say this about them. They were really bad people. They did a lot of bad things. They attacked Israel. They attacked the weakest people. They attacked the old people and the children. They were really evil people. Saul was supposed to put them, Saul was supposed to deal with them. He didn't do it. That was one of the reasons God rejected him. He refused to do what God told him to do. And David has gone and defeated them in a battle. <clears throat> and now we're going to see what happens. Let me remind you of something. If you've got your Bible in first, at 2 Samuel, just turn back like a page, like my Bible, turn back a page to 1 Samuel chapter 31. Look at verse 4. I want to remind you of what we know. 1 Samuel 31, verse 4. It says, then Saul, that the battle, by the way, the verse 3 says the battle was going heavily. Saul got hit. He was wounded. And so in verse 4, Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and pierce me through with it. Otherwise, these uncircumcised will come and pierce me through and make sport of me. He says, he turns to his armor bearer and says, kill me because I'm wounded. I'm not going to be able to live. But if I live, they're going to come get me and they're going to do all kinds of things to me. We know what they did to Samson. They blinded him and made him like a slave. It was just terrible. He says, I do that. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. He, he did not want to kill Saul. So Saul took his sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw it, that Saul was dead. He also fell on his sword and died. Thus Saul died with his three sons, his armor bearer, and his men on that day. So as we get ready to begin Second Samuel, Saul killed himself, his armor bearer killed himself, and they lost the battle, and the sons have been killed, and it's just a terrible time. So look at chapter, look at Second uh, Samuel chapter 1, look at verse 1. Now it came about after the death of Saul... When David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, that, da that David remained two days in Ziklag. Now, the battle is at another place, up by Mount Geboa. David is down in Ziklag, and they've defeated the Amalekites, and David has spent a couple of days in Ziklag. I think David knew that there was a battle going, remember? David wanted to go to the battle, and the Philistines said, you can't go. So David couldn't go. We went back. The city was destroyed. They had to go get the, Mal the Amalekites. Now they've come back. And I think they're waiting. David may not know what happened. He may not know what happened in the battle. And so he's waiting to find out. It says that uh, he remained in Ziklag for two days. Now, we know what happened. The Philistines won. Saul is dead. They've all fled. And so look what happens, verse 2. On the third day, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes torn and dust on his head. And it came about that when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. So on the third day, this man comes out of the camp from the camp of Saul. He'd been at the battle. When it says dust on his head, that means two things. It means, one, it could be that he's just all filthy from the battle. Or when you got, in those days, sometimes if you showed extreme sadness, you'd pick up dirt and throw it on top of your head. Uh, to show you're, you're angry or you're sad. Uh, sometimes they would tear their clothes. They could take and tear their clothes, and that shows extreme anger or sadness. This is why he's throwing dirt on his head, and he's really, I think he's trying to show that he's really sad. And so what's going to happen? So this man shows up from the camp, and it says, it came about when he came to David, he fell down in front of David. Then David said to him, this is verse 3, where do you come from? And he said, I have escaped from the camp 
of Israel. So he basically says, I came from the battle, from the camp of Israel. That's where I came from. And, and so David naturally wants to know what happened. What happened? So David then says to him, verse 4, David said to him, how did things go? Please tell me. And he said, the people have fled from the battle, and also many of the people have fallen and are dead, and Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. Now, that's some really sad news. David didn't know what happened. David didn't know whether the Philistines had won or not. He knew that all five of the cities of the Philistines were going to attack. Uh, David wasn't there when Saul went to see the witch at Endor, and the witch, and of course, raised up Samuel, and Samuel told him, you're going to lose. In fact, here's what happened. In 2 Samuel 4, he said, the people have fled, many have fallen, and Saul and Jonathan are dead. Now, that's exactly what Samuel said what happened. God's word is always true. Samuel told Saul that there will be defeat, you will flee, and you will die. And that's exactly what happened. And one of the great truths is this. When you study the Bible, I mean, it's true. It's right. Look at the Scripture. Don't second-guess the Scripture. When it says, whoever believes in me will never perish but have eternal life, then let me tell you, whoever puts their faith in Jesus Christ has what? Have eternal life. And so the Bible is accurate and true in everything that it talks about. Accurate and true. So David says, where did you come from? And he says, I've escaped from the camp. And David said, well, how did it go? And he said, the people have fled. Many people have fallen. They're dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. Well, if you're David, you want to know, how do you know this? How do you know? How do you know that Saul is dead and Jonathan is dead? So verse 5, so David said to the young man who told him, he said, how do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. And, that, and that's it. And, 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 and now we're going to get a story. Now we just read chapter 31. We just read the Bible in chapter 31. And Saul said, I am wounded to his armor bearer. Help me. Uh, kill me. Because they'll come and they'll like, they'll, no telling what they'll do. They may poke up my eyes. They cut off my ears. They may, no telling what they're going to do to me. So kill me so they can't make sport of me. That's what he said. And his armor bearer said, I can't do it. I, I can't do it. So Saul dies himself, armor bearer dies himself. That's what we know. That's what the scripture tells us. So David said to this young man who said to him, he said, he said, how do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? So look what he says. The young man who told him said, by chance, by, what do you mean by chance? By chance you just happened to be at a battle? By chance, you just happened to walk by. In fact, we're going to find out by chance he happens to go by after the battle is over. Watch what he says. By chance, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and behold, Saul was leaning on his spear, and behold, the chariots and the horsemen pursued him closely. Now, let, me, let me ask you this. Of course, leaning on the spear, and, and, and what does that mean? Does that mean he was trying to kill himself? Does that mean that he's, he can't stand up and he's using his spear? So what does that mean? And, and, and let me ask you the question. What do you mean by chance? You happen to be in the middle of a battle? You happen to be just walking by, and by chance there's a battle going on and Saul is wounded? I mean, that doesn't make sense. And if you're David, you're, you're, your mind would go, by chance? By chance you're in the middle of a battle? What are you doing in the middle of a battle? He says, by chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and behold, Saul was leaning on his spear, and behold, the chariots and the horsemen pursued him closely. They were coming after him. He looked behind him, and he saw me, and he called to me and said, and I said, here I am. He said, who are you? 
And I answered and I said, I'm an Amalekite. Now, remember who those Amalekites are? They're the ones that attacked David and the city of Ziklag and took everything and took all their possessions and took all their family. David and his men went and they're the ones that attacked the Amalekites and uh, brought, saved all their stuff. And, and so this man, Saul says, who are you? And he says, I'm an Amalekite. Then verse 9, then he said to me, please stand beside me and kill me. For agony has seized me because my life still lingers in me. Now, let's stop for a second. Is that what, is that what happened? Is this man show up out of the blue? And Saul turns to him and says, oh, who are you? I'm an Amalekite. Oh, listen, uh, I need your help. I need your help. Uh, please stand beside me and kill me. For agony has seized me because my life still lingers in me. Now, what we saw in chapter 31 was not that. In fact, in chapter 31, Saul said, kill me. And the guy said, no. And he said, okay, I'll kill myself. So he killed himself. And so this man says that he was there, that he was there. And he says, and he said, please stand beside me and kill me for agony has seized me because my life still lingers in me. He says he saw Saul alive. So I stood beside him and I killed him because I knew that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown, which was on his head, and the bracelet, which was on his arm, and I brought them here to my Lord. He said, so I killed him. I took the crown and the bracelet. Well, the crown, that's the crown of the king of Israel. And the bracelet was a special bracelet. You know, they, they had special things they wore showing who they were. And this guy has the crown and the bracelet. You know, when they talked about the Philistines coming in afterwards and finding the bodies and cutting off Saul's head and taking all that stuff, it never mentioned the crown, did it? It didn't say the Philistines took the crown. This guy says he got the crown because he killed Saul and took the crown. Why would he bring this to David? I think he's bringing it to David because he says, look, look what I have. I have the crown. Uh, I killed Saul Here's the crown. Aren't you happy for me? Because Saul was your enemy. Everybody knows that. That's why you've been down with the Philistines. Everybody knows that. So I'm here to show you that I killed your enemy. Well, did he kill Saul or did Saul sell himself? How did he get the crown? We know that in First Samuel 31, Saul fell on a sword and died. And then his armor bearer died. So what could have happened? Here's what I think happened. We're not going to ever really know exactly what happened. Except if we hold to chapter 31 of what actually happened. And so I'm going to tell you what I think. I think this man's a liar. I think this man came after the battle was over and everybody ran off. And all those bodies there, if you remember, it said the next day after the battle, the Philistines came through to get all the stuff. This man came through right after the battle, and he saw Saul dead. He saw the crown. He saw that, and he picked it up, and he's got it. And he says, I think what I can do is take this to David, and David will honor me for having this, and he will honor me for killing his enemy. That's what I think he's doing. We'll never know for sure. We have to say which part of the Bible is true here. This man, who's probably a liar, or the Word of God back in chapter 31. 
And so I think this Amalekite saw, dead man, saw the dead man, took the crown, came to David. Why would he do it? I think he wants a reward. What's David respond to this? <clears throat> Let me tell you what I think. I think this man thinks that David will go, thank you for killing my enemy. Thank you for being there. Thank you for the crown. I've been waiting for this crown for a long time. That's what I think he thinks that man's going to do. But the man's not going to do that. I mean, David's not going to do that. This man thinks David's going to do that, but he's not. Look at verse 11. Then David took hold of his clothes. And what did he do? He tore them, remember? That's extreme anger, extreme upset, extreme uh, emotion. David took hold of his clothes and he tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. They're all weeping. They're all weeping because they mourned. Look at verse 12. They mourned and they wept and they fasted until the evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the people of the Lord and the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. Look what David did. David is weeping. David's not happy. David's not happy that Saul is dead. He's definitely not happy that Jonathan is dead. He's definitely not happy that the nation of Israel has been defeated and they've scattered and they've run everywhere. Notice this verse. It says in verse 12, I want you to just look at it in a little more detail. They mourned and wept and fasted until the evening. For who? For Saul and his son Jonathan and for the people of the Lord. And if you notice, the nation of Israel is called the people of of the Lord. They're God's chosen people, not for salvation, but for service. Each individual person must believe. You know, salvation is each person, whoever decides to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Old Testament, it was to believe in the coming Messiah. And, and the nation of Israel is chosen. I've had people come to me and say, in the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, does that mean they're saved? No, it means that God chose them to use them. And he'd used them for two big things to bring the word of God and to bring the Messiah into this world. That's the two things he used them for. They are the people of the Lord. So notice what it says. They mourned and they wept and they fasted until evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. They lost the war. They lost their king. They lost the sons. The people have fled. It's terrible. Now, this is what is unexpected for this man. This man thinks that David is going to be okay with this. Verse 13, David said to the young man who told him, where, who told him, where are you from? And he answered, I'm the son of an alien, an Amalekite. Now, how do you think David feels about Amalekites? What has David just done? He's just had to go rescue all of his family, everybody's families, all their possessions from the Amalekites who came in and burned Ziklag to the ground and took everything off. Amalekites have always, let me say it in the nicest way I can say it, they've been despised by the nation of Israel because they were evil. They mistreated Israel when they came out of Egypt, when they were trying to come into the promised land. The Amalekites have been bad for a long time. And Saul, as I said earlier, was supposed to deal with them, and he did not. David has defeated them. But here's one of them, a young man, and he's an Amalekite. And David said to the young man, where are you from? And he said, I'm the son of an alien. I'm an Amalekite. And then David raises this question. Then David said to him, <clears throat> how is it you're not afraid to stretch out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? 
Now, what he's saying, why were you not afraid to touch the king of Israel? Now, David is believing him, I guess, at this point. The Bible tells us something different. David doesn't know. David wasn't there. All David knows is this man says, I killed Saul and got his crown and his bracelet. And David says, weren't you afraid to touch the anointed of God, the Lord's anointed, the king of Israel? The king of Israel was not just any person as far as the the Bible was concerned, not just any person as far as Israel was concerned. The king of Israel was God's anointed one to lead the nation. And that's why when David had opportunities to kill Saul, he never killed him because he said, I cannot touch the Lord's anointed. And he looks at this man and says, were you not afraid to kill, to stretch out your hand, to destroy the Lord's anointed? You can see the guy going, "Mm, I don't know. And David called one of the young men and said, go cut him down. So he struck him and he died. David said, kill that man for killing the king of Israel. And he did. And then David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for your mouth is testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Now let me tell you this. If he didn't kill Saul, he died for lying about it. Right? If if chapter 31 is accurate, which I think it is, he didn't kill Saul. He stole the bracelet and 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 the crown, and he came back and lied about it. And David said, if you kill the Lord's anointed, I'm going to kill you. And so we could say that he, if he didn't kill Saul, he died for lying about it. And let me just tell you this. Be careful to make sure you tell the truth, right? He could have come back and said, I went through the battle. I found this. It was your king's. I brought it to you. And I, they were dead. And I, I just thought maybe it might be good to bring it to you. David probably would not have touched him. David was said, thank you for the information. But he, I think he lied. And I think David knows something's not right. But David says, if you said you killed the king of Israel, you will die. We should be men and women who tell the truth. Right? I mean, there's, there's rarely a time to lie. I mean, if you're hiding Jewish people in your house and the Nazis come to get you and they say, are you hiding any Jewish people? And you go, no, no, no. That's okay to lie there. You're saving lives. There are times, but not here. And we're going to stop here because David is going to sing a song. It's called the Lament. Notice in verse 17, then David chanted with this lament over Saul and Jonathan, his son. We're going to stop, but I want you to think about this. What does David say about Saul? What, would, what do you say about your enemy? What do you say about a person that hates you, and is he actually trying to kill you? Or let's get modern life, somebody who hates you, is trying to get you fired at work, try, uh, hates you in your neighborhood, maybe messing with your yard at night, who, who, who you know is against you. How do you feel about them? What would you say about them? Watch next week when we look at the lament, what David says about Saul and Jonathan, and we'll see how that ties together. Well, <clears throat> David learns about the battle. The Amalekite comes and tells of the defeat and how he kills Saul, and David uh, requested, uh, you know, the, he, basically, he, uh, he says that Saul wanted him, that this man said Saul wanted him to kill him, so he killed him and took the crown and everything. David's response is weeping and anger and emotion 
And he actually kills the Amalekite. He says, you're not supposed to touch the Lord's anointed. And I'll tell you the truth. I don't think he killed Saul. I think he stole that stuff. And I think he died for it. He died for lying. So let me give you some applications and just realize this. Let's understand. We reap what we sow. We do. Saul was a man of the flesh, and he ended up with death and defeat and sorrow. The Amalekite was a liar, I think, and he ended up dead. And Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow of the flesh, you reap corruption. If you sow of the spirit, you reap life, eternal life. And so the bottom line is we reap what we sow. So be careful. Be careful how we live. Tell the truth. Be men and women who, who uh, trust God and who live for the glory of God. The second application is let's follow the example of David, not Saul. David is a man after God's own heart. Now, did David mess up with a lot of times? He's still a man after God's own heart. Let me ask you a question. How many times do we mess up a lot of times? And we don't even want to write them down. If we start writing them down, we just got to have sheets of paper. Just bring it over here and I'll start writing, all right? But we can be men and women after God's own heart because what that means is that we love God and that we want to obey him and we want to live for him and we want our lives to count for him. And my prayer is for every one of us in this room that that's, that's the goal of our lives. That we'd say, Lord, we, we just want to live for you. We'll go wherever you want us to go, do whatever you want us to do. We just want our lives to count for you. Would you take us and with the gifts, talents, and abilities that you've given us to use us for your honor and your glory? And so we want to, let's follow the example of David, who's a man after God's own heart, who served God all of his life. And when he blew it, what did he do? He confessed it. What do we do? What do we do when we blow it? We're to confess it and forsake it. That's the plan. Saul was a man of the flesh. And I love, you know, when you look there, we're going to see Saul. Saul was a believer. We're going to get to heaven one of these days. We're going to get somewhere, probably in the kingdom, and we will see Saul. And he'll say things like, I blew it pretty much. He did. He's going to say it. And guess what? You know what we could say? So did I. I blew it a lot. And David could say, I blew it a lot. Aren't we glad we have a God of grace? A God who loves us beyond what we could imagine and gives us eternal life and then takes us and uses us. Let's follow the example of David, not Saul. The third one is let's trust God, not sell for victory and success. We don't need to lie to be successful. We don't need to cheat to be successful. You can see that this guy coming thought, okay, I'm going to bring the crown. I'm going to bring this. That'll honor me. He'll give me money. He'll give me something. He'll give me a good possession, even though I lied about it. We don't have to lie. Just trust God and let God, just do what's right and let God take care of the results. He is the one who loves us, takes care of us beyond what we could imagine. I've got one other application, and I, I wanted to put this in here, and it's a little bit different than what we just saw, because this is a time of sadness in, in the nation of Israel as we look at it. And, and we have, even in the midst of sadness and sorrow and defeat, we have a great Savior. And I, I wanted us to think about this for a minute. I want us to thank God for our Savior and our substitute, Jesus Christ. We've, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and God has given to us a Savior, and, and, and he's given to us a substitute. Now, I want you to think for just a minute about a substitute. Jesus Christ took our place. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We're supposed to die. We're supposed to be separated. Jesus Christ came and took 
our place, our substitute. I want to show you these verses. You don't have, we're not going to keep them up there long enough for you to write them down, but if you want to, I'll get them for you sometime. These are some verses in the scripture that show us the substitution of Jesus Christ. Look at this. Romans 5, 8, Christ died for us. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Christ died for our sins. 1 Peter 3, 8, he died the just for the unjust. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he was sin for us. Romans 8, 32, he delivered him up for us all. Galatians 3, 13, he became a curse for us. Ephesians 5, 2, he loved us and gave himself up for us. 1 Thessalonians 5, he died for us. Titus 2, 14, gave himself for us. 1 John 3, 16, he laid down his life for us. Those are verses that particularly say he took our place. We should never get over it. Think about this. He came for us. He became a person for us. He died on the cross for us. His blood was shed for us. He arose for us. He is a savior for us. Never take it for granted.